You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much, singers, musicians. Do take your seats. And uh, great to, to be here and to be with you and uh, add my welcome to those joining online as well. And I hope you are doing well. And if you've had a little break over the Easter period, I hope you've had a wonderful time. If you're new among us, uh, a very, very warm welcome. And uh, we hope we can get to know you uh, very soon. And I'm going to dive straight in today. We are beginning uh, something I'm very excited about, which is a brand new sermon series. It's going to run for six weeks, including today, called Kingdom Bringers. Kingdom Bringers. And it is about carrying God's kingdom in a culture of compromise. I'm excited about this. On Sundays, we're going to be unpacking this idea of what it is to be those that carry the kingdom, that bring the kingdom into the places where we work and study and live, and how we do that in a counterculture where what we're carrying as kingdom people, as God's people, is so often at odds with the world that we are in. And uh, this is the essence of the series. And uh, in our life groups through the week, uh, we are going to be running a brilliant resource by Pastor Chris Hodges called The Daniel Dilemma. And uh, we're going to be focusing our series in the book of Daniel. And uh, midweek, this is going to dovetail perfectly with our Sunday messages and just go a little bit deeper and allow us to talk about it, discuss it, and develop these thoughts and talk and pray one with another. If you're not in a life group yet, then the best thing to do if you're in the room is head to our information point and speak to somebody there. And if you're online, probably uh, go to our website, sealamchurch.co.uk, and put in forward slash connect and drop us an email. Let us know that you're interested in life groups. Well, this is going to be relevant. I believe this is going to speak right into our day-to-day lives. Just give me a wave. Uh, if you are engaged in the world of work in some form or another. You go somewhere to work or, or you study somewhere um, or you are engaged with something that is outside of church and outside of your home on a, on a daily or weekly basis. Just give me a wave because I, I think this is going to be pretty well all of us, the vast majority of us. Um, if you're in a season of life where maybe you're retired or you've got little children, you're at home, then I know there's lots of different people and settings that you interact with as well. And Kingdom Bringers is going to speak into all of that. It's also going to speak into our purpose as a church. If you've never yet caught our purpose statement as a church, this is our purpose. This is what we say we are about at CLM. It's to bring the kingdom of God to every life and sphere of society. It's this understanding that as much as we love the corporate gathering where God's people come together and worship, we don't believe that, that God's plan for us is to do services. God's plan for us is to bring His kingdom to the world in which we live. We come together to be strengthened in our faith. We come together to pray together, to be strengthened in our unity and our community, in our worship to receive the instruction of His Word to help us stay on track. But we are placed in the world to bring the kingdom of God. And so this is our big passion, that we would be kingdom bringers. 
Just let me take a moment here. Jesus spoke repeatedly about the kingdom of God. I understand this might seem like a bit of an obscure idea. What does the kingdom mean? Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. He said the kingdom of God is near. He said things like, like the, the kingdom, he tried to explain the kingdom to the disciples. He said the kingdom of God is like a seed. It begins so small, but it, it can grow massive. He said, kingdom, it's like yeast. It, it works its way through. And then he said to the disciples, do you understand what I've said? And they went, oh, yes. But clearly they had no idea what he's talking about. The kingdom, and, and Jesus said, didn't he? He said, you're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as what? As it is in heaven. In other words, the, the kingdom if I can say it simply, my understanding is the kingdom is the rule and reign of the King Jesus. His ways, his, his love, it's, it's on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is in heaven. His love, his peace, his justice, his joy, his power, his truth, all that is in heaven. He wants to bring that into the earth, into every life and into every sphere. This is the coming of the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, his ways come. And of course, God could move sovereignly, but he has ordained it that the kingdom will come through who? Through his people. We are the people we've been praying for. That we, we are, there is no plan B. We are plan A. And, and I know we're aware of our failings and our frailties and we wouldn't trust us, but he has chosen to trust and empower us to be kingdom bringers, to bring his ways and his life. Jesus, in the book of Acts, was risen as we celebrated last Sunday and is just about to ascend to the Father. And we read this in verse 3. It says, uh, he appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days and he spoke to them about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. The word kingdom appears 121 times in the Gospels. The word for church, and, and Jesus is building his church. The church is God's bride. He loves the church. He died for the church. But the word ecclesia for church appears three times. Kingdom 121 times. We, we have to understand that this coming of God's ways through us into the world is the big picture of what God is on with. Vaughan Roberts, the theologian, wrote a book called God's Big Picture, trying to, un trying to unpack what is the big message of the Bible. And his conclusion was, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's the coming of heaven onto earth through his people. When light shines in the darkness, the kingdom comes. When you serve somebody who is in need and show compassion, the kingdom comes. When you pray for someone who's sick, in Jesus' name, the kingdom comes right there. When you, when you stand up for justice, when you stand up for integrity, when you take a stance to be holy in your place of work or, or your friendship group, the kingdom comes right there. When you share the gospel of Jesus with someone, there the kingdom comes. When we defend the oppressed, the kingdom comes. We are the kingdom bringers. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you are a kingdom bringer. You are a kingdom bringer bringer. But of course, we'll all be aware that the kingdom we're carrying or we're seeking to carry, the ways of Christ, his values, his life in us spiritually is so often contrary to the ways of the worldly culture within which we have been left or placed physically. 
So there's this tension, this challenge. The king would have us serve and live and think a certain way, but the world that we are in would have us serve and, well, or maybe not serve, or certainly live and think a different way. And so we can feel a conflict, and we're going to be unpacking this during our series, what it means to carry or to bring God's kingdom in a culture of compromise or a culture that is opposite to the one that the Holy Spirit has put within us. If you'd like a title for this week, week one, it's simply this, in the world, but not of it. In the world, but not of it. As I've said, we'll be anchoring the series in the book of Daniel, but then reaching forward into the words of Jesus and the other books of the New Testament, because this is really what what we are living out as New Testament believers. But the story of Daniel is incredibly contemporary. It's 2,600 years old, but it is so contemporary into our situation because Daniel was a kingdom person placed in an alien environment. And this largely is the story of Daniel and his book, not all of it, but a lot of it. And so I'd I'd like you to turn with me just as we begin to open things up to the book of Daniel, chapter one. We're going to read verses one to seven. It will come up on the screen for you also. The Bible says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, that's the location of the people of Judah, and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered As, uh, sorry, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, this is our hero, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Daniel's friends. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. See, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, went 600 miles into Judah and specifically into Jerusalem and sacked Jerusalem. And not only carried off some of the plunder from the temple, also carried off some of the people, the strong and the fit among them, 600 miles into Babylon. It's it's understood by most theologians that Daniel was probably around 14, 15 years of age, having grown up presumably in Jerusalem uh, when he was taken from there into Babylon. What a traumatic experience for a teenager. And there he grows and he, he, he grows into his latter teenage years and then presumably he's conscripted into the king's service in Babylon, but he's trying to live out what it means to be a Hebrew, what it means to be a believer in Yahweh, what it means to be a believer in God, to stay true to the belief system that his family had passed down to him as a young Jewish man a young man of God, but he's living in an alien environment. You've probably heard the term culture wars recently. 
There are culture wars going on all around us, conflict all around us, differences of opinion. And with the proliferation of social media and, and anybody's voice being able to get a platform, there's all sort of angst and anger going on and these culture wars going on. Right here in Babylon, there's a culture war going on. Because the Hebrews are there trying to live as Hebrews, but they're trying to be transformed into Babylonians by the Babylonians. They try to give them new names. You'll probably notice that. Change their values, change their priorities, change their behavior. But Daniel respectfully is trying to hold on. And this is our encouragement because 2,600 years old it may be, we can find ourselves identifying with this idea, can we not? We can find ourselves living as aliens in the world. Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom, we just talked about that, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But by the way, the kingdom of God doesn't come as earthly kingdoms come through force, through military force and oppression. The kingdom comes through the love of God coming through his people. It's entirely opposite. He says, if it were, my servants would fight but my kingdom is from another place. Peter, writing to God's people, calls them, he says, 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2, God's elect strangers in the world. They were born in the world. They were born like us. But he says, oh, to God's people, as if he was writing to you today, he'd say, Jack, stranger in the world. Why should Jack be a stranger? He's grown up in the world. He doesn't know any other world, does he? Well, yeah, he does, because he's come to know another world, another kingdom. In fact, there's something burning in him, living in him, that's more powerful than the world he's in, that Peter can say, you're like a stranger in the world. He goes on to say, Peter, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. I want to turn to your neighbor and say, you are an alien. You are an alien in the world. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Paul, writing to the believers in Philippi, speaks to those who oppose Christ, saying this, their destiny is, their, their, their destiny is destruction. Sorry, their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. I don't know if you've got a passport. Some of you have perhaps got dual nationality. Different passports probably speak of your nationality. If you're in an airport, you have, to, you have to declare your nationality. You might get in line where you're flying to some places and it is you know, certain citizens this way and certain citizens this way and only the home citizens go straight through. And if you're visiting the country, you're in the long queue. But we've got a passport that says actually we're from heaven, but we're on earth. And this is the challenge. This is what is very live in us, where I identify with this Daniel's story. And I'm, if I'm speaking to believers today, I, I want to say, I'm sure you felt it. I'm sure you felt the conflict. I remember at 17, I gave my life to Christ. Almost immediately, I felt the conflict. At that time, I was going out with friends most Saturday nights, underage drinking, mostly at a local pub that didn't check ID. And sometimes at parties, my mother would be mortified. I hope she doesn't catch this online. But the truth was, away from her presence, my language was foul. That's the truth. I'm not proud of any of this, to say this, but this was the reality. My humor was sarcastic and cutting. There were other things around my life which, which were very normal in the world, 
but I gave my life to Christ and immediately I felt a conflict. And, I, and for a period of time, I was living a double life. It was very uncomfortable. I don't know if any of you are trying to live a double life. Give it up. Give it up. Don't try and live a double life. It's horrible. I remember arriving in church on a Sunday morning as a new believer with a hangover from the night before. I'm not proud of it. And the Holy Spirit started to get, get to work in me. I didn't want to sever my friendships. I didn't want to look like a weirdo. I wanted to carry on with my friendships. But something was changing in me. The kingdom of God was coming in me. And yet I was still in the world. I was in the world, but I wasn't of it anymore. And the Holy Spirit, as he worked in me, I, convicted me and challenged me. And I, I knew that I couldn't live with a, a foot in both camps. Like oil and water, these two cultures, they didn't mix. And every time I took a decision towards King Jesus and his kingdom ways, I felt better inside. Every time I said yes to the Holy Spirit, I drew nearer to him and, and sensed his presence and grew in my faith. But I won't pretend it was comfortable. And at the same time as that happened, I began to feel more and more alien. I identified with that description from Peter. I felt more alien in the places where I had been. And in truth, this process has never stopped. But I've also come to understand that my different life, my different behavior, my different language, if kingdom ways come in me, that is how the kingdom comes to others. If I'm not different, no one is going to know anything of the kingdom that has actually been placed within me. It is my difference that makes the difference. Jesus, before he went to the cross, spoke with the disciples and he prayed. He prayed to the Father. This is John 17, 13 to 19. He prays to the Father, now I'm coming to you. And praying about the disciples, he said, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth, just as you sent me into the world. I am sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. These are, these are not my main points, and I, I will keep moving quickly, but I want us just to see three things here from this in the world but not of it passage from John chapter 17 that we've just read. Number one, that we are called to be set apart. We're called to be a set apart people. We're called to be different. The kingdom has been placed in us. Jesus prays and, and he prays to the Father and he says to the Father, they do not belong to the world. And then he prays, he says, I am becoming a holy sacrifice, so make them holy. The, the Greek verb, hagi, sorry, hagiazo, from the word hagios, it really means holify them. Holify, I know it's not a word, but sanctify them, make them holy. Hagiazo, from hagios, for holy, holify them. Oh God, would you make them holy, make them different. They don't belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. It's what he's saying. My people, they are different. And so we have to live different. And sometimes I have had to say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I, I can't watch that. I'm sorry, I, 
that's not for me. And it can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. You can be in the staff room at work and, and a conversation ensues and maybe just gently you just need to leave. Maybe something has put your way. I, I, someone did some work on, on our house not so long ago and, and it, was a, it was a taxable expense. And I paid a certain amount, which wasn't a lot. And he said to me, uh, how much would you like me to write on the invoice? Like meaning, like most people, if they're, if they're going to have as an expense, if you paid 60 quid, they'll say, oh, could you write 260? And I was like, please just write the amount I paid. And he, and he looked at me like I dropped out from a different planet. And he said, like, all the people I do this for, they, they always say more. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And, and I was able to have a conversation with him about my faith and why integrity matters. And it, was, it ended up being a sweet an unexpected conversation. But we are called to be set apart. We're also positioned to be salt and light, which I guess is what I'm just saying there. They do not belong to the world. But he says in the same breath, I am sending them into the world. My friend, he, he might be taking the world out of you, but he isn't taking you out of the world. Let me say that again. He, he might be taking the world out of you, but he isn't taking you out of the world. He's intentionally leaving you in the world. And here's the thing, his presence in you, his light in you, his values in you, his fragrance in you, his grace in you, his love in you, his justice in you, his power in you is how the kingdom comes. This is what makes you kingdom bringers. And thirdly, we are prepared for conflict. Please hear me really well here. I'm not suggesting we should go after conflict. The Bible says, if it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. As we look in these weeks at the book of Daniel, you'll see how respectful he is, but he stands firm. And yet, the truth is that Christ in us will offend some people. Two Corinthians chapter two, the Bible speaks about us being the aroma or the fragrance of Christ. But it says this, to one, we are an aroma that brings life. And to another, we are an aroma that brings death. Wow. Jesus says here in John 17, the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. And what will happen is we'll find as we bring the kingdom, some respond to it beautifully. Some, their, their hearts open up like a flower and they want to know what it is. Others will bristle and repel. The aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to one, the aroma of death to another. Wow, what a call, what a challenge. And so we live in this tension. Kingdom bringers carrying God's kingdom in a culture of compromise. I'd like us today to quickly look at three lessons from the book of Daniel. And we'll just go swiftly this morning. We'll unpack some more of these ideas in different ways in the coming weeks. You see, Daniel is such a great inspiration to us. Number one, kingdom bringers resolve in the face of compromise. Kingdom bringers resolve in the face of compromise. If we dial back to what we just read from Daniel chapter one, verse seven, and add Verse eight, it says this, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, 
Abednego, but Daniel resolved. Can we say resolved? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. See, at the point where Daniel is told that he needs to compromise, he says, I can't do that. He's doing great. He's doing amazing. But he says, I can't do that. And he resolved. He made a decision in his heart that he wasn't going to be compromised. And I love it because if you go into the Hebrew, it's actually a composite of three or four words. And it really means he purposed it in his heart. That's really, if you took it literally, he purposed it in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's exactly what we have to do. That's what it means to resolve. We purpose something in our heart. This is not who I am. This is not what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to behave. We have to resolve matters in our heart. This is what he did. He settled the matter that he would not be compromised. I pray the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us today. You see, this affects what we watch. It affects what we say. It affects our approach to alcohol. It affects our approach to drugs. It affects the language that we use. It affects how we view others. It affects our sexual purity. It affects our integrity. The world might be saying one thing, saying something is okay, something's advisable, something's acceptable. But the kingdom might be saying something different. You might be in a place of work or a friendship group where certain behavior is encouraged or expected. You could be part of a, of a culture where, where the humor is to speak a certain way or to do certain things. You might be from a particular national culture that would dictate the nationality of who you should marry or certain rituals that might be expected and certain things that are at odds with a kingdom culture. We live in a world where, where success is portrayed as money and status. But a kingdom culture that would deeply challenge that idea of what it means to be successful, what it, what it means to, to pour out our lives well. We live in a world where what we are meant to believe about marriage or gender identity, matters that have stood firm for hundreds and hundreds of years are being rewritten at a dizzying pace. We're in an era of social media and council culture where it can be scary to stand firm. And as I've just said, I don't think we should go after conflict. But I believe that the Bible, and by that I mean the Old and the New Testament, is the inspired word of God. And as our denominational statement of faith will put it, the infallible and all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. Which means I'm going to believe faith, what the Bible says, and I'm going to practice what the Bible says. I'm going to behave as the Bible tells me to behave. And whether my friendship circles, my place of work, or even my family are asking me to compromise, I have to purpose it in my heart. I have to make a decision before the Lord. Daniel purposed it in his heart that he would not be defiled. And then he requested for him and his friends that he'd be able to abstain. It was a, a, an incredible situation. Because the person over him, although the Bible says that he found favor with him, he was terrified that if he let these Hebrews live differently, that, uh, that his, his head would go. And Daniel says, just try it. Give us 10 days. See what happens. Give us just vegetables and water. See what happens. And he requested, and the Lord granted him favor. 
Daniel 1, 15 to 20, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four young men, to them, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to these four, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. But we have to purpose these things in our heart. We have to engage with the conflict and trust for the favor of God. In my 20s, I was working for a global company and they, they wanted me to relocate to their head office. We were living in Nottingham. We felt God had called us there to be part of a church and they wanted me to move to Reading. And I, I had five different roles and every time they wanted me to move. And everyone else in the company was mobile. You went where the company told you to go if you wanted to get on. And I remember we went down one weekend, Esther and myself, and we went, uh, we went near to, to the place where the head office was. And we went to pray to say, God, would you have us move? And we just knew in our hearts it was not what God wanted. And, we, and I purposed it in my heart that I would not move from where the Lord wanted me to be. See, I had an earthly boss, but I have a heavenly boss. And I remember going back to my boss at work and saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't move. What happened in my life was, was the favor of God came upon me so powerfully, I smashed my targets above all my peers and they made exception after exception for me. The only person on my grade, they let work from home. They gave me a, a fully set up desk and head office I had to go to once a fortnight. And I kept moving on the favor of God. When I left the company after four years, my, my boss wept and my director opened up to me about what was going on in his life, ended up being a pastoral conversation. The president of the company, who was five levels higher than me, he came and shoulder tapped me and said, come and have coffee with me before you go. Because they knew there was, uh, there was, I was from a different place. But you have to purpose some things in your heart. Make a decision in that friendship circle where, where certain behaviors are acceptable. They're not acceptable to me. And it might mean we have to put that friendship group on the altar. But we're saying, Lord, I will not be compromised. I will not be defiled. I will be a kingdom bringer in a culture of compromise. Secondly, kingdom bringers pray when opposition comes. In the book of Daniel, they keep running into opposition. It's this story of favor and opposition, favor and opposition. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. His friends get thrown into the fiery furnace. Standing up for God's kingdom will attract favor, but it'll also attract opposition. In the second chapter, the king has a dream and some of the wise men, they can't interpret it. And he, he, he loses the plot and said, everybody in a certain category is gonna die. And this happens to include Daniel and his friends. And then they find out about it. They've not even had chance to interpret the dream. It says this, Daniel 2, 14 to 19, when Ariok, commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time that he may be able to interpret the dream for him. 
And Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. In other words, he called a prayer meeting concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed. Nothing sharpens the mind like the threat of execution. And here, quite literally so, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. I want to encourage us, when opposition comes to pray, when opposition comes to pray, because being a kingdom bringer will bring life. It will be the aroma of life to many, but to some it will be the aroma of death, and we will find opposition. We will also find ourselves in spiritual opposition. As a kingdom bringer, it's likely you'll face opposition at some time and of some kind. And in my experience, the brighter you shine, the more of a target you might become. But it's also fair to say that although occasionally there might be clear and intense spiritual pressure, what normally happens is that opposition comes in in an undiagnosed form that seems unrelated, that doesn't come with a spiritual health warning on it. What what might happen is, is you stand up for justice in your workplace, and then the next day a family member starts berating you on an entirely disconnected issue. And what happens straight away, we often don't join the dots up. We think, what's got into them? Why is this happening? Or you, you invite five friends to Alpha, and then your child comes under unreasonable challenges at school. And you think, oh, things have kicked off at school, and you don't join the dots. Let me, let me encourage us that kingdom bringers pray when opposition comes. Kingdom bringers have their spiritual antennae up. Kingdom bringers recognize that we are in a battle. Kingdom bringers are alert to the fact that when we're on with bringing the kingdom, there may be conflict. There may be things that happen. It might come in the form of an angry boss or an agitated neighbor or an antagonistic co-worker. And they're likely to come wearing a t-shirt saying, this is a spiritual attack. Hello? But let me tell you, there's opposition that can come to kingdom bringers. But thirdly, kingdom bringers distinguish themselves with an excellent spirit. I love this. In chapter six, Daniel, our kingdom bringer, is at the top tier of government. Let's read this by the, by the sixth chapter, Daniel 6, one to five. New King James, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these 120, three governors of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of an excellent, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him. I love this story, and I love this. The rendition's really important. If you read an NIV, which I normally do, it says his exceptional qualities, but the word isn't qualities, it's spirit. This part of Daniel is written in Aramaic, and the word ruah, it means spirit, it means breath. It means the innermost part of a person. You could potentially speak of the heart, but it's the essence of the person. You know when you interact with someone, you catch their spirit. You catch their essence. There's a, there's a vibe that you get from them. Yes? There's something. It's, it's their spirit. 
It's hard to articulate. It's hard to diagnose. But, but you receive something from their spirit. Sometimes Esther and I will meet someone and we'll come away and go, I love their spirit. What is that? What is that? It's, it's a purity. It's a, it's a cleanness. It's, it's a joy. It's a peace. It's a grace. It's, it's almost certainly when Christ is being formed in a person through surrender, their spirit is sweet. And it says of Daniel, he had an exceptional spirit. There was something about him. Why didn't the band come and join me? I don't believe this is a thing learned. I believe this is a thing carried. It's not charisma or confidence. It's, it's Christ-likeness forged through surrender. This excellent spirit, the Aramaic word for excellent, yatir, outstanding, exceptional. There was something about Daniel's spirit which was exceptional that the king loved. There's something about it. It's unlikely in your place of work or study that, that your, your boss or your lecturer is going to say, I love her spirit, but he might say there's something about her or there's something about him. There's something about him. And what we'll often find is, is doors will open if we carry an exceptional spirit. People will want us to sit at tables we weren't qualified to sit at because there's something about us. What is it? It's a spirit. It's a ruach. It's, it's Christ in us and it's Christ being formed in us. This is how the kingdom comes. We just have to attend to saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Just keep saying yes and Christ will be formed in us and, and we'll carry Christ into these places. Church, hear me right. I believe as kingdom bringers, let's be excellent. Let's be hardworking. Let's be faithful and reliable. Let's be punctual. Let's do the best job that we possibly can, even if we're not in our dream job. Let's get in early. Let's be responsible. Let's be a good witness for being Christ. Be the most dependable person on your boss's team. Be so good that when you leave, your boss cries. But hear me, more than that, carry an excellent spirit. It's what's in us. It's what's in us. It's Christ in us. It's the kingdom of God in us. And it will change the world around us. Can we stand together? I wonder if we can open up our hands and begin to pray. If you're joining online, maybe you'd stand at this moment as well. I just wonder if we could offer ourselves to the Lord afresh. I'm sure many of us we're going back into domestic situations right now or tomorrow into places of work or study, interacting with our neighbours, the places where, where Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world, I'm sending them into the world to bring the kingdom. Oh God, would you help us? Help us in this culture of compromise. Help us in this opposite culture. Help us to live for you. Help us to shine for you. Help us to continue to grow a more and more excellent spirit within us that Christ will be formed in us. And there might be something about us. Let your kingdom be forged in us and let your kingdom come through us. Lord, help us, those of us today that are challenged, convicted by the Spirit, 
some things in our lives that maybe we've tolerated, that we've lived with, and today you'd come and knock at our door, just shine a light on that. We know in our hearts it needs to change. I pray, would you help us to purpose these things in our heart to make a change? Would you help us to be your kingdom bringers for your glory? In Jesus' name, let's worship as the band leaders.